founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Mark Stoner, founder and president of Ashbusters Chimney Services. Ashbusters Chimney Services is a multi-million dollar service business that specializes in chimney sweeping, safety inspections, stopping leaks from chimneys, and full restorations of chimneys. That's the most chimneys I've ever said at one time. Mark graduated from Indiana University Southeast with a degree in business marketing. He also received further accreditation in advanced fireplace construction from Pennsylvania College of Technology. Mark went on to become a titan titan in the chimney industry by becoming a founding member of Servant Chimney and Venting Franchise and becoming the president of the Chimney Safety Institute of America. Mark has dominated the Nashville area over the past 30 years with Ashbusters, turning a one-man chimney sweeping business into one of the top services in the country. He has earned earned this distinction by not only providing superior professional chimney maintenance, repair, and installation services, but also by having a team that is committed and loyal to each other as well as to the, as to their community. So we are honored to have Mark on the podcast. Welcome, my friend. Hey there. Thanks for having me. How does that feel to have your, your career read out loud like that? Uh, it's pretty weird, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but my, thank you. My guess is you're the kind of personality that kind of blushes a little bit when people, when people give you um, credit like that. It, it does. I, just to be clear, I actually did not graduate from Indiana university. Uh, I went there for business marketing, but I actually decided to come to Nashville to play music and I did not graduate. So that's even uh, more interesting. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's what happened. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, that, that helps us dive into your story. Uh, sure. And that's um, somebody's getting fired on my, my podcast team. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> um, tell me buddy, how, what were the series of events? Maybe that included that led you to doing what you're doing today. Well, when I was in college uh, at Indiana University Southeast, we uh, we did a class in a business marketing course I was in, and we pretended like we were going to start a business. And they said, research a business, figure out what you want to start. You know, you could. And so I just started looking at businesses and magazines, and I happened to see one about chimney sweeping. I thought that was really unique. Um, a few years prior to that, my house had actually caught on fire from a chimney fire on Christmas Eve. So I knew the fear and the scare and we didn't burn our house down or anything, but it was a big event at the house and the fire, fire, fire department came. And so when I was researching chimney sweeping, it was it wasn't a lot of money to start it. And I think the most important thing for me in looking at a business was I said I could do that. Um, and it said, make $55 an hour. So back in 1985, that was a lot of money. And I said, I could do that. So I bought a kit. It was a kit that had a vacuum brushes, some tools, a book on how to do it. And most importantly, a top hat, which was my main marketing, (laughs) uh, effort. Yes. (laughs) That's, um, that's the job of Mary Poppins. 
Yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking of. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he didn't actually wear a top hat in that movie. Everybody seems to think he did. He I wore like, like he a did. flat. Uh, no, he wore a flat, like a flat cap. Gotcha. But there is that, you know, and even in my logo, my business, I use the top hat because it was, you know, it was traditional and it was still used in a lot ceremonially over in Europe a lot. In the United States in the 80s, when the industry really got started, a lot of people did have a top hat, but anymore, you know, it's more technical work and, and people just wear top hats at trade shows or for, you know, kind of fun stuff. But that's how I started. And uh, for the first 17 years, um, I was a one-man operation, but in uh, in the late 90s, I moved to Nashville because I wanted to play music. I was kind of embarrassed to be a chimney sweep. I didn't want to, I didn't want to tell anybody I was a chimney sweep. And, you know, if you have listeners out there that are going to start a business, I can tell you, no one said that I had a great idea of starting a chimney sweep business. Like no one, <laughs> like my dad was disappointed. My mom was disappointed. My family's like, well, you're never going to make any money doing that. And so I had absolute you know, a, a, a force force against me to start this business. But I just, I just felt like I had to do it for some crazy reason. Wow. And so, so, yeah, that's, that's how it started. Was there a lead up of you just, were you working for somebody else, like part-time doing this for a while or right out of the gate, did you decide to start your own business? <laughs> right out of the gate. I knew nothing about it and nobody did it. So <laughs> I was, I was actually working in a factory part-time I was a welder and um, I just read about, I was the factory paid for me to go to school. If, as long as you got a C or better, they reimbursed you for your, your classes and books and everything. So the factory was paying me and a friend of mine started a carpet cleaning business about the same time. And I said, I'm going to start this chimney sweep business that I researched and did, you know, took the, you know, I talked about in class Yeah, and I knew nothing about it. In fact, to start, I had very little money. And so I was going door to door with my top hat on, knocking on doors, asking people if they wanted a free safety inspection because I literally didn't know even what I was looking at. Wow. I read the books. It was before YouTube, before you could really look things up. And I'm like, I need to know what the, the heck I've got here because all the equipment came and it's sitting in my living room. I'm like, oh my gosh, now I got to do something. <laughs> so uh, it was, uh, it went from what felt like a harebrained idea to like, you better get going on this. So I went door to door for a long time to try to get people to use my services. Holy crap. All right. So I'm curious, you had two, what I would assume, one, I know for sure, two possible forces against you that you had to navigate. One is that feeling of embarrassment, even family and friends telling you, dumb idea, don't do it. And then yep. the second is what's kind of commonly called in like psychology imposter syndrome, where hmm. you're doing something, but you feel like you don't know what you're doing. And what if I get found out? Like, what if, you know, yeah. what if I don't know how to solve this problem or whatever? And I'm curious, how did you combat and move through those forces? Well, I think mine was a level deeper than imposter syndrome. It was idiot syndrome. <laughs> and so I, I was like, I knew less than nothing. So I don't know. I just felt like I could learn it. I felt like, um, I don't know. I just had this inner confidence that I'm going to figure this out. And I think probably the main thing about all that is 
uh, I don't really have a sense of fear about a lot of things. I don't really have that inner thing that just makes me scared of that. I just feel like things are going to work out and that I can make them work out or I will learn from it and get through it. And so, uh, you know, when people tell me I can't do it, my mom, my dad and people, I just, it doesn't really affect me that much. I'm like, well, you do you and I'm going to do me. And I, uh, you know, later my, my parents have both passed, but my dad was super proud of what had, what I had built over the years. And he said, you know, thank God you didn't listen to me, Mark. I mean, good job. Good job. Not listening to me because I clearly didn't know what I was talking about, but in his defense, if I would have stayed in, I was in a little town in Indiana and if I would have stayed doing chimney sweeping in a town of 8,000 people. Yeah, there was no hope for it. But when you move to a major town, when you totally uh, chimney sweeping is now only 9% of what we do when we're in, we moved and we did, you know, we do big restorations and commercial jobs and it completely changed. And he had no idea that I would go that path and neither did I at the time. So, you know, you have to get in, to find the pivot in businesses. You, you can't just look on the outside and go, Oh, this is going to be a moneymaker. You don't know that you got to get in and it's going to pivot one to 10 times on you before you figure out your path that seems brilliant, but you couldn't see it before you got into the business. Yeah. Oh, that's so glad you said that. That's something we haven't talked. I don't think enough about on the podcast. I remember the first time I heard it articulated, I think was in the, what they call the startup J curve. And they talk mm. about they talk about these these kind of common um, stages that a business goes through, and they would call it innovation, where you right. have your initial strategy and your initial idea, but when you bring it to market, there's gonna be a there's gonna be a time could be short could be long, where you're constantly innovating and trying to find the right fit, the product market fit. What's really what would people really pay for? What could we do? Should we pivot to this and that? And people get so discouraged when their first version doesn't work out or they don't see it going far. It's like you might right. be right next door to another right there, like right next to another uh, product or service you could be offering that could be wildly lucrative, right? It, it's probably right in front of you. You just don't have the wisdom to see it yet. I've started multiple businesses since that one. I started eight or nine businesses and not one of them ended up being what I thought it was at the beginning but I would not have found the business that I'm in now without going down that path of, of it being wrong. Like there's no easy wins out there. You just can't look and go, Oh, if I do this, I'm going to be rich. Like if that were the case, everybody would already be doing it. That's right. You have to get in and find your niche and your twist and your angle and your thing. And then, Oh, that didn't work. Let me back up. But here's another angle. I didn't see till I went through the door of this business. And now Oh, here's an opportunity that I, there's no way you could see it. So that's the exciting part to me about business now is where's the next angle? Where's the next, uh, where, where can I be different? What's everybody doing? So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something different than they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if you have any, any filters or any questions or things that help you. And especially in those early stages, when you're trying to figure out what's really going to work, you know, I have a friend who I've interviewed on the podcast who was talking about if you ask your customers good questions, you will find out exact. You know, you'll find out quicker um, than any other way 
what actually is what their need is. And even sometimes your price point, like how much would you be willing to pay if someone did that for you, you know? And that was fascinating to me. And I've heard other people have different strategies for you when you're building a business, one of the eight or nine. Are there any certain filters or questions you're asking yourself or your customers that help you kind of figure out where to put your time and energy on an, on an idea? Well, for me, it's a little different because nobody thinks they need a chimney sweeping. So if I called people and said, hey, uh, what could I do as a chimney sweep? They're like, don't do it. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> like the majority of people don't know my business even exists yet. We're probably the second largest chimney operation in the United States, which is probably the second largest in the world because um, there's not really big companies in other countries. But wow. that being said, I had to learn to market to tell people about something they didn't know they needed and why they needed it. Kind of like, you know, Steve Jobs or any of those things, you know, he didn't ask the market what they wanted. He created it and the market came to him. And that's kind of what this is. A lot of people have fireplaces and a lot of people have leaks in their chimneys and they like, a lot of people have situations where they like fire, but they don't know they need me. So I have to come to wow. them to say, Hey, here's, here's, by the way, that fire in your living room could burn your whole house down if you don't have it looked at and maintenance. So I've had to come at things at that kind of thing a different way. I have a metal fabrication company that makes these specialty tops of the chimneys. If I had asked customers, do you want this big chimney cap on top of your chimney? They're like, no, I could do a hundred dollar one on top, you know, at Home Depot. Well, mine will, one, it looks better. It protects the chimney better. It protects, it keeps the chimney more dry. So yeah. I have to sell them something they didn't even know they needed. And, and that's become a big part of our market. In, in my industry, it's kind of, we have to educate to get the sale. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad. You, that's why I asked the question because there's such a variety of answers depending on really what kind of business you're in and who your customer is. You know, there's another guy that I saw, he talked about these eight profit activators over a, a series of a of client acquisition. And the first two were educate and motivate the consumer, right? And it sounds like that's, that's what you got to do. You got to both educate them and motivate them to even engage with your service. In my business, I have to help you understand that if you don't do something, there could be a loss on the other side. So if you don't sweep the chimney, if you don't have it inspected, you could catch your house on fire. There could be structure loss. The worst case, there could be loss of life. Yeah. In the restoration side, I have to show you, hey, these little cracks on the chimney, if you don't do anything, they're going to become big cracks. They're going to get bigger. They're the smallest they'll ever be today. They're only going to get bigger and cost you more money down the road. So there's a loss of, you know, here's what you have. Here's what we can do to fix it. And then lastly, here's what happens if you do nothing. Yeah. And so that, that's part of our uh, how we have to educate people for our services. And it's really one of the reasons we've become the, you know, one of the biggest out there. Was it tough cracking that nut? Oh, Meaning, gosh. Like figuring out how you could actually explain that to a customer and get in and even show them. Like, imagine that being a tough, tough problem. Um, can you hear me? Okay. I had a little bit of a glitch. Oh, sorry. I, I, I think I did, but okay. so was it a hard nut to, to crack? Yeah. Um, 
You know, I don't think I knew there was a nut to crack. I just thought at first, um, okay, all I know how to do is sweep your chimney. And then all I knew how to do was do a little bit of repair. And then as we started seeing the same problems over and over, we just started trying to get better at uh, communicating, you know, what, what we could do for you. Um, the main problem, I read a book a long time ago called The Rainmaker. I don't know if you've ever read it, but... Uh -uh. In this book, he talks about, you know, one of the main problems in businesses is, is that your customers don't know all the services you can provide. They know the one thing that they called you about, but they have no idea that 10 other things you could do for them. And so that really struck with me because I'm a chimney sweep. You have no idea I can do brickwork, machine work. I can build things. I can clean dryer vents. We can do outside fireplaces. We, you know what I mean? Like, yep. you don't know all the things we can do for you. And it hit home because people would call me to sweep the chimney. And then I would say, well, your chimney needs all these repairs. And I'm like, well, yeah, who can I call for that? I'm like, me. <laughs> like, Or I did something. I fixed, you know, I swept the chimney and then I see, find out somebody else is repairing the chimney. And they're like, well, I didn't know you did that. Or I repaired the chimney and they called somebody else to sweep it. Like, this is all my fault, right? I'm not doing a good enough job with my customer to make sure they know all the services that I can provide for them when I'm in the house. So that nut was hard to crack to realize what people don't know. Mm. And if you're a business out there, your job has to be to make sure your customers know everything that you know that you can provide for them that you aren't just whatever they call for that right. you have these other services how do, how do you go about doing that for you how, how did you illuminate them to the other things that you yeah. could offer so one of the things was like what we call a leave behind package so when we're wrapping up the service that you call me about we have this fold out eight panel brochure that shows all the other services, or not all, but most of the other services that we provide, you know, gas appliances or gas logs, gas fireplaces, outdoor fireplaces, dryer vent cleaning, you know, just uh, maintenance kind of items. And yeah. then a lot of times I say, we didn't know you did all that, but then also we have a series of postcards that go to people that are automatically generated. If you do service with me, First of all, everybody's going to get a thank you card because almost nobody thanks their clients anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but um, every single person gets a thank you card and a thank you phone call. But then um, you're going to get four to five postcards throughout the year that show different services that we provide. And that that way, that you know, you know everything that we can do for you if you're paying attention at all. Uh, so cool. Again, that's just some business IQ and wisdom that you, you've gained along the way of, holy crap, we're leaving all this potential yeah. revenue on the table simply because we're not informing our customers of all the things we're capable of doing. Right. I, I tell my guys, we're a, we're a Swiss army knife, but most of the time the people only pull that one blade and they have no idea of all those other tools that are right there. And it's up to you to say, hey, by the way, we have the little scissors and we have the toothpick and we have, you know, yeah. the saw, you know, that's that's our job to make sure they know that if they want to engage that. Because a lot of times people in home services don't want to call a bunch of different contractors. It's hard enough to get one person out there, let alone five. And if you can take care of three or four other problems, they just want to deal with you. 
And that's what we're trying to do. Man, I love that. And I really love the thank you card and personal phone call to every yeah. client. I heard I heard a business uh, consultant once say, uh, the loneliest mile in business is the extra mile. And he said, <laughs> yeah. he said, if you're willing to go the extra mile, you'll find yourself alone. None of your competitors are there. That's and a fact. I'm like, that's, that's that kind of thing. We're like, who's really call, not just sending a car, but even calling? Like, that's amazing. Well, the reason we started calling was because we have a, a how did we do card that all my technicians would leave. Well, I found out that if, if you did a bad job or the customer is mad at you, you wouldn't leave them a how do we do card, <laughs> right? Yeah. So therefore, I was getting all these how do we do cards that were amazing. We were amazing. And I'm like, I know, I know we're good, but are we that good? So I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to call everybody because they might not felt comfortable giving you a crappy you know, report card right back to the technician or even mailing it in. But if they call, we call the next day from a whole different customer service person, they'll tell us the truth. So I kind of went negative on us. I said, you know what? Okay, if we're good, let's see how good we are. Let's give the person another chance to tell us anything we could have done done better. Wow. And that's how that's how the phone call came about after the service. And every morning, you know, my service, my customer service people call, they're smiling, dialing. Hey, we were just at your house yesterday. There's anything we can do for you. Did you have any questions about the service? Would you like to move forward with any of the work proposed or just let us know any information? We will be happy to, you know, take that call or let us know. And it just heads off a lot of problems on the front end. Wow. Man, yeah. that is, that's another really cool thing because most people, sometimes myself included, are really avoidant of potentially <laughs> critical feedback, right? Yeah. yeah. You went looking for it. Yeah. And it's hard, right? It's a tough, sometimes it's a very tough phone call. Yeah. And sometimes they're just nitpicking, but you're asking for it. Um, I, have a, I have some Airbnbs and a lady over the weekend um, sent us back a little bit of a critical, Hey, I'm enjoying our stay, but by the way, the, the chair in the, in the kitchen has a little crack in it. And, um, the, you know, some like little nitpicky things yeah. that were all, but they're all very helpful. She wasn't complaining. That's exactly what I'd like to hear. But my daughter helps me run the Airbnbs and she's like, I'm sick of this. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm like, Honey, that's good information right there. She's that that's exactly what you want. And I yeah. said, you ought to be in the chimney business when we're asking for problems. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you know, it's a, she's 20, she's gonna be 27 in a couple of days, but you know, it's a learning process to want to be able to stand there and take the fire from somebody yeah. and ask for it. Man, okay, so that makes me even more curious about your mental makeup. Um, because you talked about earlier that you've just never really had a great uh problem with fear and that you're right. more optimistic in nature and even here you're looking for the negative feedback where do you think that comes from that that kind of mental makeup uh, i think a couple of things one my mom and dad especially my mom was very positive when i was a kid that that we could do a lot of things and that she had a lot of faith that we we were special or that we, you know, we could, we could do it. But at the same time, later in life, my mom went through great, a lot of depression mm -hmm. and she started using um, uh, prescription drugs. And she, we went through hell as a family, like complete hell, divorce, 
my mom was on prescription meds and, and it changed her a lot into just a very combative, negative fighting person. Oh. And me and my brother, my brother's a uh, lieutenant colonel in the military. And uh, he's also a partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers. And we both think that we, because my mom instilled in us that we, we could do great things, but then she put us through absolute hell. We felt like we have a, almost like a shield, like almost like yeah. armor on us that we, you, you're not going to be worse than my mom was to me. You know, <laughs> you, you know, you're not, it's not going to be any harder than what my mom was. So good luck with that. So, you know, I think we just, I just feel like, you know, I can get through most problems and I feel just super fortunate and grateful that, uh, you know, I'm healthy enough, live in America, uh, have opportunities all around and, I want to really help a lot of people. And, and I think you add all those up and um, you can, you can take a lot of crap, man. <laughs> so fun seeing uh, fun. I don't know if it's the right word, but it's fascinating seeing what things shape us and how they shape us. And yeah. you know, you're right. Like often, not every time, but often when someone just grows up with one of those elements, which is constantly being told you're awesome, you're special can create some interesting, you know, personality traits whether it's narcissism or sometimes like <laughs> fragility because like the first yeah. time they go through something they're not great at it they they crumble they're like what right it didn't come right away or naturally to me but then you yeah you kind of attach that to a 180 and almost like a, a trial by fire kind of yeah. thing that really was a probably a purification a hardening in a good way not a not a heart hardening but like yeah. a toughening of you into the person who really can do almost anything that's fascinating yeah there was a, a very much a toughening of what what's hard in life and um and i think you know i i think it just helped us understand a lot of people that work around me like man you just you just never get really bent out of shape or never get worked up or it just how do you stay so calm now I, I think you have to stay calm. In fact, the more pressure there is, a lot of times, the more calm I get. You know, I want to bring water to the fire, right? I'm not going to bring gasoline to the fire. Yeah, I'm never that guy. I'm I'm looking straight through it and figuring out how to bring ratchet the system down, ratchet the situation down. Um, do not you you can depend on me. If there's a firefight, I'm going to be right there going right there with you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to keep my head. We're going to get through it. And when you do that, um, you know, a lot of people want to follow that, you know, there's, yeah. there's a great, there's a great comforting in good leadership, good leadership that is very uh, stable, stable and very, yeah. you know, you can, you can depend on it. You know, what's going to happen. And, and when you have that a team will, will follow and, I've been around great leaders and I love being in the, in the presence of a great leader. You know, we just, um, but when you're in, went around a bad leader, you can't wait to get the heck out of there. That's right. So I, I've just, I've just worked on being as the best leaders I can possibly be and trying to read a lot of books and go to a lot of leadership training so that, you know, if you're a great leader, uh, a lot of people, they, they need that in their life. They didn't have it as a kid. A lot of times, sure. My guys, you know, uh, had 
didn't have great home lives. They didn't have a father around. Sometimes I'd end up being almost a father figure and some type of a stable male in people's lives. And, and I, I find great honor in that. So I focus on doing the best I can do. Yeah, man. Oh, it's super cool. I feel similar in some senses, not to every sense, but in some senses, like when there's an emergency, when there's tough times, I go super calm and I want to just see the facts. Like with the yeah. first time my kid fell, split her head open, she's bleeding everywhere. And we're in the middle of Colorado in the mountains. And I, and you know, my wife's freaking out. And I just remember right. getting like super calm. I was like, give her to me. I went away from everyone was screaming. I, like, I wanted to run away from everybody where all the noise was. And I was like, I need to look at your head. I need to think about the next step before I can overreact. That's more my bend. So I'm that way in life. All right, let's calm down. Hold on. What's going on? I've also found with every strength, there's a weakness, right? Yeah. Right. And so I've had to, to kind of figure out, like, what's the downside of having that bend, right? Nine times out of 10, it might be helpful. One time out of 10, <laughs> it might be annoying or it might be whatever. What would you say is the flip side to your strength in that sense? It's so interesting that you put it that way because it can definitely be a flipped weakness. Uh, there's times people want me to get more mad. They exactly. want me to react more. And they're mad that I don't. Um, I, I had my first wife was mad that I would not get angry about things and get really worked up. And that I, she thought I didn't take them seriously. I'm like, no, I'm taking it seriously. I just don't react that way because yes. it's hurtful to me. When when I when I get all spun up and mad, I pay the price. I it's a weight on me. It's a and so I don't want to get there. Even with my employees, I do everything I can. Not that I avoid confrontation because I'm I'm pretty good at confronting, but I don't do it when I'm mad. And yeah. I, I don't get mad when I confront. I'm just like we're talking today. I'm just going to go right at you and say, hey, this is a problem. We need to fix it. And here's what I'm seeing. What do you see? Okay, here's what I need you to do. Like, I'm not going to ramp it up you know, to do that, but you're yeah. so right about it. it. It's, you know, every strength is a weakness when you, you know, when I've, I've watched people do a strengths board and it, on every single strength you can pick, somebody else could say that's a weakness, you know, yeah. it's very attention to detail. Well, he's a micromanager. Well, you know, he's this, if he's that, you know, yeah. like every he's a visionary. Single, well, he chases every idea and he never, right, he's a dreamer. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, when, when you're calm, people are like, man, I, I want you to get more fired up about this. Well, you gotta, you gotta pick and choose your battles. I have to be me. I remember one time my CFO said, Mark, you need to get more, you need to really get more upset and, and, and fired up about some of these things that are happening. I said, well, if I have to be a jerk to run this business or I have to go outside of who I am, I don't want to run it. And we're just going to have to learn to either have policies around me, have people around me. I just have to run it the way I can and, and not, and then to get the results, there's other ways to do it. So wow, that's been a learning process for sure. Yeah, man. Again, like I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm mind boggled that you are able to do see that and do that because it's so easy to let the needs of the business or the, or the opinions of the close people around you knock you out of your center or knock you out of what maybe who you really are and, and, and what your personality and your skill set really is for. Um, man, was that a struggle to, to, to kind of fight for that 
perspective or were they like totally get it? Yeah, we'll, we'll adjust around you. The hardest time to fight for that is when the business is struggling. Everybody said, see, I told you so. See, I told you, see. Yeah. And there's been some really hard times in the business when we were struggling. There was a time when I hadn't paid myself for about six months. And we were in 2008, we were really going down the tubes. And, you know, everybody around me was telling me how wrong I was for doing this business. I should go to work for somebody else. I should do this. I should do that. And, um, you know, my CFO said, you know, uh, Mark, everybody else is getting the chicken and you're getting the feathers from this thing. You need to you need to go work for somebody else. You could make great money. And why are you still doing this? I said, man, I think it's going to work. But you, you have to have that inner, you know, true north feeling yeah. that can't be shaken. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was very shaken and it was tempting to, to bail, jump out. And in fact, in 2008, I crashed the business. I had 17 employees and I went back to working by myself um, with my 14-year-old son. Wow. I, I'd messed up. I, I wasn't a good leader. I didn't know my numbers. Um, I had a basically I had a drug issue inside my company I had people doing drugs. I never did drugs, even though my last name's Stoner, I never did them. <laughs> and so, <How> ironic. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I didn't know things are happening. You know, that's all hidden from the owner. Well, all these things plus 2008 housing crisis just crashed my business. And um, I started over and, uh, you know, the hardest time to to be strong is when everything is pointing against you. Now, sometimes, you know, you've got to listen. you got to listen to the ones who really care and the ones who might know, but not necessarily the ones that are close, the ones that are not business people. Right? Mother, sister, you know, dad, wife sometimes, like they're not necessarily the ones that you need to listen to you need to have that point one of my men for me and he said i said man i'm hurting i've had to let everybody go everything is going down on me he's like i want to help you i've got a new product i'm going to introduce it and i said man i can't even afford to buy a bucket of your new material i can't afford anything i'm broke man <laughs> he's like he said i believe in you i'm going to give you the material i'm going to give you some of the equipment to start up and i know you're going to do it you're just going through a hard time and sure enough, a new this new product and his his mentorship, I ended up a couple of years later becoming the number one um, dealer in the country for this product for his company, and um, we became one of the top chimney companies out of the true ashes of burning wow. it to the ground. Wow! But it was uh, it's it's tough. It's tough, but you have to have a true north feeling that you're going to get through, you, you, you know, you got to listen to people, but you, you, I don't know. There has to be grit. There's got to yeah. be a grit about you to get oh. through it. Man, I'm so inspired by that. I mean, <laughs> I, I can sit there. I mean, I remember the day I almost quit on my business and I was battling fear, anxiety, depression, even about it. And I thought I would have taken off more by this point. And yeah. I remember I went and saw a movie in the middle of the day which made me feel more like a loser but i was like <laughs> i just need to get out of this situation and see if something will speak to me like at the heart level and i'd always connect with stories books movies 
and I saw that there was a movie out about Winston Churchill. And I was like, God, I remember him being a wartime leader. That's all I know. I feel like I'm in a war. I want to go watch this movie about him. Man, it spoke, it spoke to all the true North parts in me. And yeah. his back was against the wall. Germany's invading France. They think the war's over. And he was the lone voice saying, it's not over. It's not over. And I walked out in tears. And I was like, this is not over. Like, if I'm going to lose, I'm going to really lose. Like, someone's going to have to force me to yeah. quit. But I'm not quitting right. early, you know? Like, right. I'm right. going to see this thing through. And I was so glad I did and came out of that. Um, and, man, it just that your story speaks to me about that. I'm, I'm curious when you rebuilt the business, what were maybe a few things you did differently the second time that maybe you looked back the first time? Let's, let's say, okay, like a black swan event happened with 2008. That's going to test any business, but there's probably some lessons. Like you said, maybe I didn't look at my numbers enough or I wasn't the leader. I knew I could be, what kind of things did you take with you into the next phase of the business that you tried to do differently? Yeah, that's a, I, what was, I just looked at, I just did, what are my weaknesses? One of them was accountability. I had a hard time holding people accountable. I wanted people to like me. I didn't want them to, I, I felt lucky that they were working for me to begin with. And I didn't want them, I didn't want to hold them accountable thinking they would be mad at me or, or they would leave me. Well, the big aha was it's, a, it's exactly the opposite. When you hold people accountable, they will follow you more. When you hold people accountable, your good people who you don't have to hold accountable most of the time respect you more. You know, um, in 2008, I happened to have a group come look at my business. They were other chimney businesses, and we were doing what's called a management information exchange meeting. And they tore me apart. And they called me SpongeBob Stoner Pants <laughs> <laughs> because I was so spongy on everybody on, on everybody's. Uh, <laughs> That's the best roast. <laughs> and they just roasted me, and uh, they just gave me crap for being so spongy. So they even brought you know those little blow up like stand up things that had sand in the bottom that you could hit them and they pop back up. Yes. They brought, they brought one of those SpongeBob to the dinner and they were all <laughs> punching it, knocking it down saying that was me. Now I got to tell you, dude, that was embarrassing. I'm laughing. I want to crawl under the table, Oh, I'm sure. but I also, but I also wanted knew I needed to take it. It's true. So I learned that really holding people accountable in a good way uh, was totally what I needed to do. And in fact, the more I did it, the stronger our team got, the stronger I got at doing it, the more confident I got, the more buy-in I got from the whole company because they knew that I really cared about people, but I wouldn't take any crap. They knew that I really wanted the best for them, but it wasn't going to be at the sacrifice of other people. And, and I felt like I needed to be the defender for my good people, not that I needed to be the bad people's best buddy. You know, mm. uh, I needed to defend my good people from the guy who was messing everything up because the guy who was messing everything up or the girl who was messing everything up was really hurting my company uh, worse than me trying to help somebody along because they couldn't get to work on time or because they had an alcohol problem or because they had whatever issue they had 
I've got to protect my good people. And when yeah. I took that, when I took that thought process of you're not going to mess up, I've been working on this thing my whole life since I was a kid. You're not going to mess it up because you can't get your crap together. Doesn't mean you're going to ruin it from the who get their crap together. And I started to build a stronger and stronger team. In fact, the last four years, we've been named top workplace in Tennessee, uh, even number four top workplace for mid-sized business, because I take it very, very seriously that if you come to work for me, it's going to be a really good place to work. Oh, man. Several things I want to touch on there. That is that is so good. One, it makes me think of a proverb uh, that says the wounds of a friend are more are sweeter than the kisses of an enemy. Right. And I never understood what that meant mm. until I got older and I realized like some of the most precious things that happened to me felt like wounds in the moment from friends, people that love me and were willing to be yeah. honest with me and say, Hey, this may hurt your ego or your pride, but here's where you could grow. And you value it so much more than an enemy or someone that doesn't care about you kissing your ass. Right. And that's I'm like, so good. That's it. That's what that meant. Okay. I understand why that's a proverb now. Right. Um, that's good. I haven't I got, heard that. That's great. I love that. Yeah. And so I got similar feedback from my friends again, similar to you, my strength, calm, you know, harmonious with people. I don't rock the boat, that kind of thing. But I was taking a personality assessment back in my twenties and it said that, you know, I was a peacemaker and some of my friends said, nah, you're a peacekeeper. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, peacekeepers avoid confrontation and accountability for the sake of peace, but a peacemaker will address whatever's going on in order to get real peace. Oh, and wow. They, they said, if you want to take your leadership to the next level, you need to learn to become a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Oh, wow. And I was, my good. mind was blown. I was like, that's I had struggled with anxiety and all that kind of stuff that no one knew about. And I realized in my anxiety came from all the things I was avoiding. I was avoiding yeah. that hard phone call. I was avoiding telling someone, Hey, that bothered me when you did that or whatever. But I just had to start to learn to, to still be loving, still be calm, just like you talked about, but to just deal with the issue. Like what's the issue? We'll make peace of it, but I'm not going to act like it didn't happen. Right. Yeah. Go right at it. Make and address it. If you don't address it and everybody sees that you don't address it, you've just lost so many steps of and with your guys. And they're like, hey, they, they, that happened and they, they didn't, Mark didn't do anything about it. Yeah. And then they would say, you know, Mark, if you're not going to stand up for yourself, why do I stand up for you? If you're not going to go to bat for yourself, why am I going to bat for you? And yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, how embarrassing. Yeah. But, but, now they they know i mean don't get me wrong i, I i'm not perfect in this sometimes i might let something go a little bit too long but i'm still i have no problem addressing i, re, I when i was a kid i also trained dogs and not to say that people are like dogs but training dogs wow. When you train them, like when you train them to walk beside you, you don't let them run all the way out on the leash and jerk them back real hard like you're mad at them. When they start to move, it's a little, it's a little, you know, nudge. Hey, stop that. Or, oh, guys, yeah. stay right here. And I've learned that that's what I do. As soon as I see something little, I have to address it right now. I don't let it build up and build up and go, well, the next time, well, the next time. 
Well, when he does it worse, then I'll do something. It's you have to go right at it when it's a little problem because every little problem, every big problem starts off real little and you didn't do anything about it. Yeah. And it's really, it's really not what you say in business. It's what you tolerate. And, and so I learned to saying is one thing, but I just won't tolerate. I won't tolerate stuff. I'm quick at, at, at addressing it now. That's so good. Yeah. It's, I wonder if you feel this way too, but I've realized, I think I have somewhat of a superpower for picking up on when something's off. So my, yeah. my, my team will always laugh about it. Cause if we leave a meeting and no one thought everything thought was fine, one of them might get a text from me that said, I'll say something like, Hey, vibe check. Was I picking up? Was I picking up something there? Do, do you so need to good. talk? And they'll be like, yeah, can I call you real quick? And like almost every time they're like, yeah, how did you know? And I'm like, well, let's talk about it. Like what, what what's the deal? And then we'll work through it. And so they know if they get a text right after a meeting, I've caught, and I'm not, it's not, I'm not calling them out. I just want to deal with it. Like, yeah. did, did I, did I hear something in your voice? It sounded like you were down today or sounded like you were a little pissed off. Like what's going on, you know? And my, yeah, my or they were just won't realize I'm it sorry. at all. It, right. It's not on his radar. Well, you're empathetic. You're sen- you're sensitive that way. And, and so am I, like I had that meeting that you're talking about today. Um, <laughs> One of my main guys, he's, he's always got his head. He, he, lately, he's got his head down. He pushes back from the table a little bit when we're going into problem-solving mode. He's not all in. Yeah. And and he's been one of my number one guys. And, and I had to pull him up to say, man, you are not yourself. Would you? T-? Now, he hasn't told me what it is. And, and now, that being said, he's had actually some – healthy had a knee reconstruction had a back issue and so when you're in constant pain that can mess with your vibe too oh, and yeah. you know he and he's been in that so i'm going to give him that but i think that's exactly i'd look around and take the temperature of the room and watch for what's happening all the and time what you're yeah it, it's it's my thing too and it happened up probably a month ago i was watching this kid he's normally just the, everybody loves him and i went up to him man are you okay he's like man, I'm, I think I'm about to go through a divorce. And mm. I started talking about my divorce and kind of what that's like and what you need to watch out for and what you need to do better. And he was so thankful. And not that I could save people from that stuff, but just your your yeah. uh, action toward them that you care on that level is so good for the team. Yeah. Well, I've had to recognize like one, to follow my instincts. Sometimes I wouldn't send that text or whatever, and I'm like, no, I think that's my wiring is I'm going to pick up on what other people aren't going to pick up on. And so let me leverage that for the business. And for just because sure. I care about these relationships, they've taken a, anyone that's working with you or working for you has taken a bet on you, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Hey, there's a responsibility I have to you. How are you doing? Like, is this still a good fit? Is there something going on? Like, let's, let's work this out. Um, you know, even, even when somebody's on your mind, just to send them a text. Like if all of a sudden one day you just you're just thinking about somebody, that's how my friend, when I told you that my mentor reached out to me in 2008, for some reason he just said, "Man, I'm you've been on my mind hardcore. I don't know what's going on. Are you okay?" I'm like, "Man, I'm not okay." And it was just it just opened up. So I've learned to kind of try to act on those inner feelings, even if they're not, not in the same room, or if I'm just get a, a weird vibe, just check on people. Wow. And it's, it, it matters a lot to their life. And you'll realize that some of these, 
inner vibes that you get they're real there's something going on i don't know how we're wired or how we're getting them but you should act on them heck yeah i 100 percent believe in that i've been i've been spooked out from both ways someone knowing when to reach yeah. out to me and then me reaching out to someone just thinking what's the worst that's gonna like if i'm wrong it was nice to check in yes. if i'm right we'll see what's going on and i'm like it's not every time but a lot enough to take yeah. note of you're like wow how i don't even know if we need to know how God, yeah. if it's if right. it's if it's uh, quantum entanglement where there's <laughs> right. something going on and we don't know, I don't care. Yeah. But I do pay attention to it, right? You, and you should. And I think, like you said, the more sensitive you get around people to what's going on in their life, and just you know, just to your circle in general, you reaching out, you become such a, a, a you you know we're here to help people right we're here to be a blessing to people we're here to 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 you know reach back and and and, and help people and a lot of times it's it's the smallest things i can look back at some of the biggest things of my life or little bitty things people did for me little bitty things they said to me changed things and just um acknowledgement of of things is really really great leadership man that that's so good all right, I've got time for one more question before our lightning round. And I could I, talk to you all day. Same, bro. <laughs> I haven't got to any of my questions that I had written down ahead of time. And I want to make do it sure, again. I want to, well, let's do it again. I want to make yeah. sure I at least get this one because you've been so successful in not just this business, but multiple businesses. I'm curious at your answer to this question. Um, what skill do you think every entrepreneur should practice and develop? If there was just one skill. What would that, what, what rises to mind? Well, that's a twofold question. One, if, if your business is going to need to have people involved in it, you must learn leadership. You, you can't grow, but I know there's a lot of businesses that are solopreneurs and they don't really have to have leadership. So the other skill, so if, if you have to have people, you must learn leadership. It's more important than knowing your numbers. It's more important than marketing. It's more important than even technically knowing what the heck you're doing. Wow. Because I don't know if you've read the book, Who Not How, yes. uh, Dan Sullivan. Yeah. Yes. You know, if you've either, you know, in business, you've got a technical problem or you have a, what's the other word for it, technical or um, adaptive. So if you got a technical problem, somebody else knows the answer for it. So I, you can hire who's, you can hire people to do it. Adaptive, you got to figure it out yourself. You got to put things together. So for me, I, I'm, I'm, I just recently started an HVAC company. I don't know anything about HVAC and I'm not going to know anything about HVAC. Yeah. I'm getting ready to purchase a powder coating operation. I'm not going to learn powder coating, but I do know the who's that run that. So for me, if, if you got to run people, you got to be a great leader. If you don't have to run people, you have to have good critical thinking skills and learn how to use who's and not you learn how to do everything. Figure yeah. out how to hand off as much as you can and, and value your time. And if you're going to go fast, don't learn all the details and then try to hand everything off. It'll be so far down the road by the time you get to it, you might have missed your window. What brilliant answer. Freaking love that. And I'd even add, not add to, but just reinforce when you said the first skill of leadership, you know, I started off as a solopreneur and I realized leadership was important for me then because I had to learn to lead myself. That was like yeah. one of my, that was one of my biggest learning curves is there's no boss to complain about anymore. 
<laughs> there's no one forcing you to do anything. And so yeah. I was like, man, before I could ever lead others, I need to first learn how to lead myself and know like, how do I motivate me? How do I, you know, act intelligently, wisely and in, in what I'm doing in my day, hold myself accountable before I could ever expect to hold somebody else accountable and that kind of thing. So leadership can also apply just to you leading your own damn self, you know? For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, the good thing about being your own your boss is you're your own boss. The bad thing is you're your own boss. You're your own boss. <laughs> right. And that, you know, it, it depends, you know, I don't have to tell myself to go every day. I go. Um, but if you, you know, but it doesn't mean I'm always effective every day. Some days I need a break and I need to let the brain expand, but yeah, but yeah, you, uh, leadership is it. I mean, if there's any one thing, read about it, develop it, get better at it. And a lot of good things can happen. Yeah, man. In the early days, I would joke with my wife a lot. She'd be like, how was your day? It's like sucked. She's like, why? I was like, I was like, my boss sucks. She was like, you're, you're your boss. I was like, I know <laughs> I was a terrible leader of myself today. <laughs> I need to get better. I need yeah. to get so much better, man. I yeah. saw a movie in the middle of the day. That was my first problem. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I remember, I reminds me, I used to play video games in the middle of the day. Sometimes when I yeah. first started, I'm like, I have in the middle of the day, I just go play video. It's when they had like arcades and stuff. I'm like, yes, I am a terrible boss. I need to get better. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I love it. Mark, this yeah. is so fun. All right. Let me, let me ask you our five quick lightning round questions. Uh, first okay. thing that comes to mind, no need to overthink it. Uh, it's the same questions we've asked every founder on here. So number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that be? Uh, care for others. The money that we get is their money. It's not Mark Stoner's money. The money that I pay you with is their money. You got to care for them, take care of them first, and everything else will take care of itself. Come on. Love that. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also, what was the worst? Uh, the best advice is to figure out... Um, who can help you and that I, my value is say a thousand dollars an hour. And if I'm not doing a thousand dollar an hour work, I need to have somebody else do it. If it's a reoccurring thing, the worst the worst advice is from my dad and my family saying, you can't do this. You yeah. shouldn't do this. And that was, that was, that proved monumental for me. Awesome. Number three, what currently causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization? Um, you know, there's just a lot of weight. As you grow, I have about 70 employees and there's a weight to it. And, and in some ways that's a lot, in some ways that's nothing. But when it's, when I'm the founder and I started it and I look around, there's a weight to making sure that I provide a good workplace and I want to make the biggest stress I have is culture. I want to make sure our culture stays good and I protect it. And we have something that I can be proud of. I've had bad cultures in the past. And, and when I, I, it really stresses me if I can ever see our culture starting to go south or people starting to not be great toward each other. So I have to, I have to make sure our culture stays strong and a good place to work. Heck yeah. It shows your heart there too. It's both strategic and again, empathy and relational sure number four what is your current b hag your big hairy audacious goal 
Yeah, that's a great question because so I'm in the middle of a big acquisition of a of a bigger of a big company that does uh, powder coating and metal fabrication. And on the back part of that lot, the building and the lot is um, I'm going to build a bigger uh, operation that I, you know, my chimney company and, and metal fabrication and my uh, HVAC company. So we're building a big 30,000 square foot building on the back of a 30,000 square foot building and having a really big, you know, mecca operation. Wow. And it's about to happen. We've been working on it for a while. A lot of things have, found, have fallen into place. And the, it's it also gives me stress because I'm putting all my chips on the table. And uh, But I'm excited about it. I think there's going to be some really good things come from it. I was going to do it in two sections, do the, the one acquisition first, and then in a few years build my building. But while we're going, let's just let's just put it all out there. So we are Balls we're all wall, in. <laughs> it, it is absolutely yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. That fires yeah. me up. All right. The last question is just a fun, creative question. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past and tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window, when would you go back and what would you tell your younger self? Um, the main thing I would tell myself, I would go back to when I started this business in 85, I would go back to that 18 year old kid and said, uh, this is going to be a great ride, but get help sooner. Don't be on an Island for 17 years by yourself trying to mm. do this. And, and you can go so much faster if you'll get out of your own way and think bigger. I thought too small. Come on. Reminds me of the African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Right. Oh, that's good. Yeah, man. That's good. Yeah. That's it. That's it right there. That's it, buddy. What a great way to wrap up this podcast. I am leaving this inspired, encouraged, and I know our listeners are too. So I want to just thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your time and your wisdom with us today. It's been an honor. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.